This week in KMA Land, COVID cases continue to climb in KMA Land. Page County pauses COVID vaccine mandate enforcement. KMA Land school districts in wait-and-see mode on Supreme Court ruling. McQueen presides over first-gen council meeting and Dolacek declines re-election bid. I'm Mike Peterson. You could call it Coronavirus Crisis 2022. After another week of rising COVID-19 cases and continuing debate over vaccine mandates. And Page County continues to be a COVID hotspot in KMA land. The county's public health department reported 100 new cases alone this week, one of the highest weekly totals since the virus was first reported in March of 2022. With the newest cases, Page County's 14-day COVID positivity rate climbs to 17.1%, though the county's death toll remains at 39. Page County's vaccination rate is up to 55.1%, while the Iowa immunization rate climbed to 60.2% as of late this week. Well, the continued spike comes as county and school officials all over the region continue to spar over the controversial federal COVID vaccine mandate regulations. By a 2-to-1 vote Tuesday evening, the Page County Board of Supervisors voted 2-to-1 to pause the implementation of a vaccine policy put in place in late December pending action by the U.S. Supreme Court. The policy conforms to a mandate from OSHA, which would require employees of the county to be vaccinated against COVID-19 or submit to weekly testing and wear a mask. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the case earlier this month, while the Iowa Division of Labor Commissioner Rod Roberts announced last week that the state would not be adopting or enforcing the mandate. Supervisor Jacob Holmes cast the lone dissenting vote to pause the mandate, saying he would rather repeal it altogether. I don't see a need for pausing it. I'd like, of course, the next thing I have to be on there would be to repeal sure. it with what was said by the head of the Department of Labor in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, we all read it. Mm-hmm. They're not adopting or enforcing it. Mm-hmm. They will not adopt the federal standard. I'd like to see this black mark erased from our history and get it up clear off the books. Supervisor Chuck Morris says the county's legal counsel has advised him that the announcement is at the state level will not matter if the Supreme Court allows the mandate to stay. That posturing by Governor Reynolds is simply posturing if you talk to legal counsel because I was one of six states that operates their own OSHA. If the Supreme Court does go ahead and say that the vaccine mandate is enforceable, they will come down and shut OSHA down in Iowa, and they will for, they will force it on Iowa. During discussion on December 28th, all three supervisors indicated that they did not support the mandate, but Morris and Supervisor Alan Armstrong said the county needed a policy to comply. Holmes says if the supervisors are willing to pause the policy, he would like to see it completely taken off the books. Morris says not having a policy could still open the county to OSHA fines and violations. We don't want to do it. But what are you going to do? I, I'm not willing to uh, sacrifice employees or equipment for you, Joshua Fines, if this thing goes through. And that's exactly what will happen if it is enforced. So let's see what the court does. The supervisor's decision came after one county resident asked them to stand up to the mandate. Jane Stimson says the board should listen to their constituents and not just legal counsel. If a mandate action cannot be supported by the founding father's documents, A good leader will be creative in finding ways to oppose that mandate in order to support the individual rights of their constituency. I'm happy to live in Iowa, thankful to live in Iowa where the leadership has stood against 
the mandate. Following the vote for a pause, Holmes motioned to repeal the policy, but that motion was defeated on a two-to-one vote. Similar discussion regarding the OSHA COVID vaccine policies took place at Tuesday's Montgomery County Board of Supervisors meeting. With a high court's decision likely to come soon, Assistant County Attorney Bruce Swanson says he recommended waiting to see what the high court rules. Supreme Court of the United States just heard this argument last Friday. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I don't think we should be passing anything right this today. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because we, the, I think this thing is on a fast track, which is rare in the Supreme Court, but the, I think we're going to have a ruling within a week or two. And I think that's going to set the record straight. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, so be it. Then we'll, we can come right back in here, pull this thing off the shelf and pass it. But I don't think we should pass it right now and then have the Supreme Court throw everything out. Swanson says he is unsure of whether the state would be able to overrule a federal regulation, but says this strays away from the main question at hand at the Supreme Court. The question they're, they're looking at is can OSHA, just a bureaucratic agency of the federal government, have this overwhelming power to mandate all this? Mm-hmm. That's one of the issues. And I think it's, well, anyhow, let's, I, I don't know if we trump them. I mean, we can't trump the federal government, but. I think the bottom line, no matter who says what, I don't think it's proven to pass a resolution here that might be thrown out tomorrow. Iowa is one of 22 states in the country to have a state plan for both public and private sector workplaces versus following just the federal OSHA regulations. However, it is still unclear at this time how Iowa's OSHA's policies are more strict than the proposed federal regulations. Supervisor Donna Robinson informed department heads and employees in attendance that the board is not necessarily in favor of the regulation. This is not something that this board of of five county supervisors are wanting to do or are taking on on their own. This is something that's being dictated to us. I think there's there's we as as elected officials, as well as as other elected officials, we have our sheriff. We have our recorder sitting right here with us. We have a department head sitting here. We care about our people, and we want to do what's right for our people, and we want to protect our employees, and we want to do what we can to keep them. The board took no formal action on Tuesday's proposed policy. It will continue discussions at further board meetings until a decision is reached in the Supreme Court. Like many KMA land school districts and county governments, the Clarinda School District is holding off implementing policies connected with OSHA COVID-19 vaccine regulations. Meeting a regular session Wednesday evening, the Clarinda School Board approved the second and final readings of a policy in accordance with the OSHA administration mandates requiring staff members in districts with more than 100 employers or more to be fully vaccinated. However, the board followed the approval by then voting to suspend spend any enforcement of the policy pending the Supreme Court's ruling and guidance from the state. Superintendent Chris Bergman told KMA News that despite the suspension of the policy, the confidentiality of record keeping of medical information will always be a priority for the district. We have worked really hard to uh, talk about the difference between, you know, when you can be transparent, what's confidential, and certainly um, medical records and a person's health. Um, were a concern. And so we will be looking, uh, we have a stakeholder team we're putting together to look at third-party providers for that data collection. Like other policies approved by area school boards, the policy allows for medical and religious exemptions but requires those choosing not to be vaccinated to wear face coverings. Bergman says while it's too early to tell what the ramifications of the states decided not to follow enforced vaccine mandates, she says it does seem to add some complexity to the situation. You know, our state government will make decisions based on 
what they think is the best plan and then we respond from there so you know kind of like our board member said tonight most likely then the you know the federals may say this is not a sufficient plan and and they may or may not uh, decide to be the enforceable person but that basically all of that it's anybody's guess should the policy need to be put in place following the supreme court ruling and deliberation between the state and federal levels of osha bergman says the board has an emergency policy to reinstate the district's vaccine policy quickly well shenandoah school board approved the district's policy at a special meeting earlier this month speaking on kma's morning line program tuesday morning shenandoah school superintendent dr carrie nelson said the district's vaccine policies remain intact despite the state's position I think at this point we have our policies in place and we are looking for legal guidance on what has been announced through our state. There have been conflicts all throughout COVID between the state and the federal level that we've had to work through. And I think our legal counsel is best suited to guide us in those decisions at this point. Nelson says the district is working with employees on vaccinations as well as any medical or religious exemptions covered under the policies. The superintendent calls staff compliance with mandates exceptional. They've worked with administration throughout the process. We've tried to communicate very clearly what the needs are. We've communicated about the conflict. They, They know and understand the difference between the state and the federal level and we're really good to provide the information that's been requested or seek accommodations and we're, we're making a large commitment to our staff to work with them and they've made a large commitment to work with us as well. Finally, the long-awaited Supreme Court ruling came late Thursday afternoon. By a 6-3 vote, the high court struck down OSHA's federal vaccine mandates for businesses but a similar vaccine mandate for health care workers was retained. Well, meanwhile, news of a student building trades housing project highlighted this week's regular Shenandoah School Board meeting. By unanimous vote late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board approved a housing renovation project as part of the school's career technical education programming. The project is contingent upon the transfer of property at 207 West Sheridan Avenue from the city to the school district and securing a loan of up to $80,000. Again, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Kerry Nelson told the board the district has asked for action on the property transfer to be placed on the Shenandoah City Council's January 25th meeting. The city has removed the asbestos already, which that's a significant concern because that's very expensive to abate. And so that part is taken care of. They are prepared to accept a proposal from us to um, do just a transfer of property for a dollar. Nelson says an advisory committee consisting of local construction experts will work alongside school officials in planning for the project. The superintendent says people have asked how students can work on a school project but not enter the workforce at their age. OSHA would prohibit an employer from hiring a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old. OSHA will allow it as a school project and our insurance will cover it as a school project as long as credit is being issued and a licensed teacher is involved in the planning and supervision of the students. Like other housing renovation projects in the city, Nelson says the project is expected to be completed within a year with the possibility of an extension. Tuesday night marked a new beginning for Shenandoah City Government. Roger McQueen presided over his first Shenandoah City Council meeting as mayor. Elected from among seven candidates in November, McQueen officially succeeded Dick Hunt January 1st. 
Though the city has a new mayor, the rest of its administration remains intact. By unanimous vote, the council reappointed A.J. Lyman as city administrator for another two-year term. McQueen praised Lyman, who has served in the position since September of 2018. I think you're a very valuable part of the wheels of government here, and uh, I'm glad you were able to stay on two more years. He called me the night after I got elected, and he said, well, congratulations, do I still have a job? <laughs> <laughs> Similar praise was given to Carla Gray, who was also unanimously reappointed to a similar two-year term as city clerk treasurer. Major political news in KMA land this week. After more than a quarter century, KMA land's longest-tenured legislator is retiring at the end of the current session. State Representative Cecil Dolacek announced Thursday that he will not seek re-election to his Iowa House seat in this year's elections. Dolacek currently serves the House's 24th district, which includes all of Page, Ringgold, and Taylor counties. A 1969 graduate of Mount Air High School, Dolacek is a longtime Ringgold County farmer and has been involved with various agriculture-related groups over the years. In an interview with Radio Iowa News Director O.K. Henderson, Dolacek says after 26 years, he decided it was time to retire. It's time to let somebody else take the reins and get some new blood in, possibly. Dolacek won a three-way GOP primary in June of 1996 and took office in January of 1997. I assumed I'd probably be here a few years and go on and what uh, developed into a 26-year career in politics and public service. And I enjoyed it very much and just decided it was maybe time to, after 26 years or a little over a quarter of a century, to move on in my life and uh, be 71 years old, so it's a full retirement and decided it was time to spend a little more time with my wife and grandkids and the family. Dolacek says his predecessor in the Iowa House, Horace Daggett of Kent, recommended that he consider focusing on education policy. And Dolacek has led the budget subcommittee that writes the first draft of education spending each year. I've been very blessed to have been able to work in that arena for 26 years trying to support the rural schools in rural Iowa. Dolacek says it's been an honor to serve the people of southwest Iowa, and he is thankful for their support over the past two and a half decades. I love the job. I love talking to people. Uh, but it's, it seems like over the last two or three years it, it may have become a little more partisan when you get stopped on a street corner. Some people seem to be a little more angry. Or the news media is kind of driven a divide, mainly on the social issues. They don't see the behind-the-scenes work here that you kind of have to be at the Capitol to understand that bipartisanship exists here a lot more in the Iowa House, maybe than it does on the federal level. Dolacek is not moving from his Mount Air home, but may spend a week or two in the winter somewhere warmer. Dolacek's retirement means Southwest Iowa will have at least one new legislator beginning with the 2023 Iowa legislative session. Income tax reform was just one of the many topics covered by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds in her 2022 condition to the state address Tuesday evening, speaking before members of the Iowa legislature, special guests, and the general public from the Iowa House floor. Reynolds first addressed the $1.2 billion surpluses of tax revenue the state currently has. While not proposing an elimination of state income tax, Reynolds announced a comprehensive bill to revamp the state income tax system and introduce a flat tax. Despite the historic 2018 tax cuts, we're still taking too much from Iowa's paychecks. That needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. Tonight, I'll introduce a comprehensive bill that significantly cuts taxes for all Iowans. First, it eliminates our complex system 
of multiple tax brackets and sets one tax rate of 4%, flat and fair. Along with the sweeping tax bill, Reynolds addressed Iowa's workforce, currently ranked ninth in the nation in labor participation. However, Reynolds says there are still more jobs than workers available and current unemployment benefits aren't incentivizing those workers to return to the office. Therefore, Reynolds says she intends to introduce legislation to cut Iowa's unemployment benefits period 10 weeks shorter than its current 26 weeks. Those Iowans have six months to collect benefits while they look for one of those many open jobs. And frankly, that's more time than necessary. I'll be introducing a bill that lowers benefits to 16 weeks, about four months, and ensures that those collecting unemployment can't turn down suitable jobs while living on taxpayer funds. Education is also at the governor's forefront, specifically parental choice and input in school districts. Reynolds called out districts teaching with books that included offensive and sexually explicit materials involving minors. Reynolds says the first step is for school districts to have transparency in what books are available to students. All schools should be required to publish what they're teaching. There's no reason to hide it, at least no good reason. The same goes for the books in the library. Parents should know what their kids have access to, and they should have a timely process to address that concern. Because when parents are fully informed, they can make informed choices. Doubling down on parental choice, Reynolds says she intends to introduce legislation that will grant low- and middle-income class families a portion of state-per-pupil public school funding to allow the parents to choose whether their child gets an education from a public or private school. About 70 percent, over $5,300, of those funds will go directly into an account for families to customize their child's education. The remaining 30% will be distributed by the state to smaller school districts. We want to ensure our small schools stay strong while at the same time empowering parents to choose what's best for their child. However, Reynolds also recognized the efforts of teachers throughout the COVID-19 pandemic authorizing the use of elementary and secondary school emergency relief funds to grant teachers who stayed on the job throughout the pandemic and intend to remain in the industry next year with $1,000 retention bonuses. Reaction to the governor's speech fell largely on party lines. Oki Henderson, veteran Radio Iowa News Director and moderator of the Iowa PBS program Iowa Press, provided some analysis of the governor's speech on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning. With a GOP majority in both the Iowa House and Senate, Henderson says Reynolds' unemployment benefit reforms have a good chance of passing. If you're keeping score and want the most updated uh, statistics, Because of a special election this fall in Newton, Republicans now have a 60-seat majority in the Iowa House of Representatives, and they would likely be amenable to this. In the Senate, the majority is slightly larger. There are only 50 seats in the Senate, and Republicans occupy 32 of them. They won a special election in December, and so they're at full strength at at 32 members, and they have, for the past several years since Republicans took control, tried to make changes in the unemployment benefit system and in SNAP, which is a Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Some people call it food stamps. 
and in other um, programs. Radio Iowa's O.K. Henderson on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning. Well, besides COVID-19 vaccines, another hot issue at recent county boards of supervisors meetings involves Second Amendment rights. By a 3-2 vote Tuesday morning, the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors approved a resolution declaring the county as a sanctuary for the U.S. Constitution's Second Amendment. Montgomery County joins other area counties, including Page, Mills, Adams, Taylor, and Pottawatomie. However, the opposition was apparent among some board members, the public, and other county officials. Assistant County Attorney Bruce Swanson reminded the board that the resolution has zero policy impact, but is rather symbolic and political. From a legal standpoint, it's nothing but a symbolic deal. For, for that matter, why are we picking on the Second Amendment? Why don't you pass a resolution that says we're not going to enforce any law that infringes any of our constitutional rights? Well, the reason you're not is because that would be absurd. It would be useless. It wouldn't mean it wouldn't mean anything. You're not here. Congress and our state legislature and our federal legislature, they're making the laws. Mike pointed out they're on, these laws are on the books. Swanson also strongly advised the board to avoid any language in the resolution that could impact the enforcement of current gun laws. Supervisor Randy Cooper, who voted against the resolution, suggested that the word sanctuary gave him some concern. Swanson concurred that the term could be misleading, but some were still in favor of declaring the resolution, including Supervisor Mike Olson. Olson says the resolution isn't about changing gun laws about where or when people can use a weapon, but instead defending and standing up for the U.S. Constitution. I understand where this is coming from. This is a statement by Montgomery County, our constituents, our citizens, that we don't want our Constitution beat on thrown away, circumvented, that we want these laws to stay in place. They've served us well for 250 years. And I can't believe anybody sitting here would be against the Constitution of the United States. Supervisor Donna Robinson, the second member voting against the resolution, says she doesn't want to give in to peer pressure from the growing number of counties adopting the resolution and finds it unnecessary given its lack of enforceability and symbolism. A resolution declaring a county to be a Second Amendment, Second Amendment sanctuary, it does not negate federal law. It, it, it changes nothing. It, it is symbolic. That word has been used numerous times. The enforceability of it would be an issue and highly questionable. And I think our sheriff and our, our uh, law enforcement ha- are, are aware of that and have stated that. With the board's slim approval, Montgomery County becomes the 34th county in Iowa to adopt the resolution. Fremont County added itself to the list, passing a resolution Wednesday morning, making it the 35th. It may take over a year, but an iconic Malvern grocery store will rise again. Monday marked the one-month anniversary of the fire that gutted Mulholland's grocery store. Firefighters from more than two dozen KMA land communities battled the fire on December 10th. High winds from the December 15th derecho knocked down the dilapidated structure's north wall and spread the fire's debris field. Though an investigation into the fire's cause is still pending, store owner Tom Mulholland told KMA News he will rebuild the business. The insurance investigators and state fire marshal are waiting for some more information, and it's extremely frustrating for myself and then the neighbors that have to wait through this. Uh, I have talked to insurance, though, and they have told us that we can go ahead and make our plans and... We have decided or I have decided that 
uh, I am planning on rebuilding. Mulholland, however, says the reconstruction's exact timeline won't be set until after the investigation is completed. While saying he's not ready to retire, Mulholland says reopening and rebuilding the store is best for Malvern. You know, Malvern needs some sort of a grocery store here. People have really realized how much they depended upon it over the past few weeks, and I've heard so many comments. You know, it's going to secure the future of our community and allow for the continued growth that Malvern has seen over the past many years. And, uh, you know, I just want to see positive things for the community and, and everybody around here. Bullholland adds he's amazed by the support coming from beyond the community. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.